face. Okay. Hey, welcome back to uh, Teacher Talk with Paul and Jay. Uh, we are ready to go here uh, tonight with book four of the Odyssey, all the way yeah. up to book four, the end of the so-called telemachy. So uh, we're glad that you are with us here, and uh, we want to walk through this really important kind of long book. It has a long tail sort of at the end, uh, but we want to uh, uh, take you through it and uh, talk about what's important, what stands out to us. Jay, how are you doing tonight? I'm good. I just want to introduce people to Camille. Um, she's on a lot of my YouTube videos, and I think she heard your voice, Paul, and she wants to make sure that um, all your citations are accurate. <laughs> That's her special uh, job. Huh? Yeah. Okay. All like right. All cats. Like all cats, she's very good at, at at least looking like she's judging us. Yeah. 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 So. All right. Well, welcome, uh, Camille. And if you haven't met Camille in some of uh, Jay's other videos, which uh, we'll link to, he's got some great videos and other books. Um, both of us are posting other other things, which uh, we'll try to uh, uh, put links in down below so you, so you can find them um, and find uh, other things on literature and reviews that we are we are doing uh, sort of separately as well. Um, Jay, what about a poem? Do you have a poem prep for us? Yeah, I, one of my favorite contemporary poets, he actually just passed away, is a guy named Stephen Dunn. He mm. taught college in New Jersey. He was, a, he was a, a basketball scholarship athlete in college. He writes a lot about a lot of things. But anyway, I, it strikes me that books three and four largely involve older men um, telling stories and giving advice to a young man. And I thought mm. of this poem. And his best collection, Stephen Dunn's best collection, is the book Different Hours. It won the Pulitzer Prize, I think, in 01. Oh, my wow. gosh, Paul. It's so up your alley. It's so good. Really? It's, I don't yeah, know. I don't know him at all, Jay. I don't know this. this yeah, this so it's, I came upon him a handful of years ago. Anyway, this poem is called uh, The Metaphysicians of South Jersey. <laughs> And I know you and I have talked about this and I was lucky enough to grow up with just a lot of like wise old people and yes. you just be a young person at their feet, listening to mm -hmm. their wisdom and stories and whatever. Anyway, mm -hmm. this is called, and it just, I think it's spiritually sort of connected to books three and four of the Odyssey. So All right. this is the metaphysicians of South Jersey by Stephen Dunn. Because in large cities, the famous truths already had been plumbed and debated. The metaphysicians of South Jersey lowered their gaze, just tried to be themselves. They'd gather at coffee shops in Vineland and deserted shacks deep in the Pine Barrens. Nothing they came up with mattered. So they were free to be eclectic and as odd as getting to the heart of things demanded. They walked undisguised on the boardwalk. At the Hamilton Mall, they blended with the bargain hunters and the feckless. Almost everything amazed them. The last hour of a county fair, blueberry fields covered with mist. They sought the approximate weight of sadness, its measure and coloration. But they liked a good ball game, too. Well-pitched, lots of zeros on the scoreboard. At night, when they lay down, exhausted and enthralled, their spouses knew it was too soon to ask any hard questions. Come breakfast, as always, the metaphysicians would begin to list the many small things they'd observed and thought, unable to stop talking about this place and what a world it was. Am I right, Paul? You got to check this guy out. He's so good. <laughs> oh my gosh. It's so good. I knew you'd like it. That is amazing. That yeah, is right. amazing. Right. <laughs> the odd, uh, the odd details, however odd it, what, uh, they had to pay attention to the odd details, whatever it took to get to the heart uh, yeah. of things. Yeah. Yeah. <sighs> what a oh, perfect line. I know. I know. So I folks, this. Folks listening, I can't recommend strong and strong enough the collection "Different Hours" by Stephen Dunn. There's a poem I'm going to share later as we talk uh, called "Odysseus's Secret" that's from that collection. Okay, uh, and, and it's it's a it's a meditation on the Odyssey by Stephen Dunn. So anyway, wow, uh, he mentions the Odyssey specifically. Oh yeah, oh, oh. yeah. 
this is great. This is like that poem is like ennobling. I was picturing, you know, like McDonald's anywhere in the country at 7 a.m. Right. Yes. It's, it's packed with old men from local town, you know, local yep. town. This one talking yeah. intensely about nothing's too small, no detail. And it's easy to look down at them and just say, oh, yeah, these guys over here just, you know, just chatting. But what are they yep. doing? Paying right. close attention to the odd yeah. details of life, however, however odd, however detailed, whatever yeah. it takes to get to get to the, the truth or the heart of things, whatever it demands. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. And it's a great way of turning, um, of sort of flipping the script on on the on the epic. You know, these are we're going to meet a bunch of guys sitting around talking their stories. You know, that yep. they privilege. You know, as the best and most meaningful stories. But it's but it's their tales in their New Jersey, and uh, yeah. they're taking them seriously. And and right. and that's the best we can do. That's what each of us should be doing to up to yeah. our stories is taking them seriously, taking them right. for real. I always tell it to my students too. I'm like, you know, that, that line or that whole concept of that, that teachers and some adults use, I, I think, you know, shamefully that, you know, where they're always forecasting and talking about um, when you get into the real world or later, you know, when stuff matters, when you get to college, let me, or when you're married, this, no, 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 no. It's now, now, now. everything right. is now. When you're in college, it's now. When you're married, it's right. now. And when you're in ninth grade and you're feeling and looking and reading and thinking, it's now. Take all of those things. None of them is more important than the other. Because if you treat them that way, none of them will be important. You'll always be waiting for that day when it matters. No, uh, that's really when, good. And, and you and I are teaching teenagers now. And, and both of us, I'm sure, have many of them. And I, I don't want to betray confidences, but definitely what they're going through is the real world definitely yeah. and not just teenage angst but like very life or death things with family mental health just yes. being a kid you and i both have teenagers being a kid in 2023 and transitioning to the odyssey i mean something i didn't think about for today but something that i some of my students have been have been writing about they're they're writing a paper this week on uh, a question they have on books five to eight so a little ahead of where you and i are right okay. now Okay. But a lot of them paid really close attention to how do adults talk to Telemachus because they know how adults talk to them. Hmm. And like, I think we're in a book where you have the, the wealthiest sort of man in the known world who is, uh, you yeah. know, was in the war and knew, I mean, a very highly sought after high ranked famous person, like the Elon Musk of the day. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, meeting this kid who just shows up like, how often do kids that we teach feel like they're treated respectfully by adults is part yeah. of the heart of the first four books of this poem. Yeah. And, and it's specifically talked about. It's not like you're importing a topic just to try to reach oh. out to your kids. Oh. It's literally on the page. Odysseus, oh, yeah. before, he, before he talks to Nestor, he said, I can't talk to this guy. I don't know how to talk to real live adults. And here in this chapter, um, Menelaus comments you know, on, on Telemachus's speech. Well-spoken, young man. You know, like it's, it's yeah. kind of pretty on the... On the page. And he treats him, Menelaus, I, I think, and we'll get into it, I guess, but uh, treats him respectfully, seriously, takes his life serious, even though by a certain perspective, you might say he has a right to, to condescend to him. What battles Telemachus fought in? You know, what, what heroes has he stood toe to toe with? Um, what, what has he suffered? But Menelaus doesn't, doesn't treat him treat him that way. And it's, and it's crucially important uh, to Telemachus's development here at the end of the section of the book that has his name on it, the Telemachy, the first four chapters yep. where Odysseus really doesn't appear, where Odysseus yeah. isn't on the page. And, yeah. and, and, and Odysseus appears in the next, next chapter. We'll meet him and we won't, we won't hear from Telemachus um, again after the end of this book um, until uh, almost 200 pages later, I counted it up until until book 15. It's 11 books later, and then and then this plot boink picks right up where it where it yep. left off here at the end of this chapter. Um, yep. uh, 11 books, 11 books later. So it's a really yep. interesting plotting and 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 a really a really interesting move that 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 happens. But again, here at the end, this interaction between Telemachus and and the great Menelaus, you know. Yep. Um, it, it's amazing to be here, to be in his home, to meet his wife, the amazing right. Helen, the Helen. Yeah. Yeah. We're here. Yeah. We get to hear, it's like back in book one. We said we get to hear Zeus talk. 
If you yep. want, you know, if you want to know about Greek religion, listen in book one. You meet the right. gods; they're right there. Well, what about Helen, the famous face that launched a thousand ships? In this right. book, we, we get yeah, to meet. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I yeah, I, and I just want to say too for people that are new to the Odyssey, maybe you're a student reading it first time or an adult going back to it. Please be kind to yourself and patient to yourself with book four. It's the longest of the books, I believe. Yeah. I know when I do this with my freshmen, I break it up into two parts. Um, yeah. It's Paul and I were talking before the podcast. It is, it is really wacky I mean, in a really amazing fantasy yeah. sci-fi adventure <laughs> kind of way. So just relax. And Paul yeah. and I, we're going to just, you know, quickly summarize it, not really cover everything, but just give you a, a sketch and then right. chat about just some moments that stood out to us. But in terms right. of summary, I mean, I have like four just quick things. You mind if I just run? Yeah, through do it, do it. You can bring it down to four points. I think that'd be awesome. Yeah, and but any summary of any great book is insufficient. But anyway, just to anchor you a little bit. So at the end of book three, Telemachus and Nestor's son Pisistratus leave Sparta. I mean, they they leave, um, they leave and land in Sparta which is the next place Telemachus is slated to go right. to. And that's ruled, as Paul said, by Menelaus, who fought with Odysseus. It's King Agamemnon's brother, the head of all the Greeks' brother. Right. And it's his wife, Helen, whose abduction um, by, uh, you know, by the Trojans ended up leading to the Trojan War. So there's all kinds of interesting history. And there's even some debate among scholars as to whether Helen was abducted or left. Yeah, um, which, yeah, which is it. And, and you did some of those edges in this book. You can oh. sort of, if you have that in mind, you poke yeah. around and listen to the lines, and yeah, you see yeah. it's a real issue. Yeah, yeah. So early on, I think you walk into this landscape, and we're just pounded over the head with the fact that Menelaus is the wealthiest man in the known world. So <laughs> he's the wealthiest man in the known world. He's married to the most beautiful woman, mortal woman in the known world. That's his circumstance. Yeah. Telemachus hears stories about his father weeps and Helen mm. it's the first instance of the poem of self-medication it's not the last instance Helen gives drugged wine which translations say in different ways removes the capacity for grief separate yeah. conversation but it's a lot of ink is being spilled right now on that line yeah. uh, a key part of Zania is you let your host sleep the night uh, so there's that trust that you feed them you bathe them and you let them sleep the night so the guests yeah. sleep Menelaus and then Menelaus tells uh, Telemachus of Menelaus's own Odyssey home, uh, Odysseus, uh, his own Odyssey uh, on the way home to Sparta, which euphemistically includes like I acquired wealth uh, in Egypt, which is to say raping and pillaging. It isn't like investing. You know what I mean? He's not investing in in you know, uh, you know. Stocks. Right. He's he's Silicon Valley Bank or something like that. No, and then secondly, he has again the whole point of books three and four is fact finding about Odysseus. He gets nothing in book three. Here we are. We're halfway through book four. Telemachus has to be thinking, what what the heck am I doing here? Menelaus says, I met Proteus, the yeah. shape shifting sea god. Who and this is I, I make sure we look at this before the kids read it, only because it's wicked easy to get lost here. Proteus is, I'm going to talk about this moment, but he's basically held down by Menelaus. Yeah. And he's changing into all these shapes. It's bananas. It's crazy. But he's the one, because he's sort of a god of the sea, uh, knows that Odysseus is with Calypso. So that's where Telemachus hears that his dad's alive. This is a play within a play, by the way. This is like various scenes in Shakespeare. It's a play within a play. We are watching uh, Menelaus. Mm-hmm narrating this moving story to Telemachus. There's like a layered thing happening. Uh, the right. chapter ends with this weird abrupt shift back to Ithaca with Penelope being sad and the suitors lying in ambush waiting for Telemachus. This is just mm -hmm. a rough sketch, but we have yeah. the wealthiest man in the world, the most beautiful man in the world, Menelaus telling stories of his past that make him weep. We have Egypt. We have shape-shifting gods. We have suitors. They're ready to kill. And that's just like a very rough sketch. It's true. So like, like if you strip out, and it takes a ton of work to do it. I mean, you got to read through it several times and talk about getting lost. It really is like trying to sail back home from Troy. You're just gonna get yeah. you're gonna get shipwrecked about twenty times. I'm doing it, but in the end, it is. I think I think Jay, your summary is good. In the end, it is Pace of Stratus 
and uh, Telemachus journey on uh, across land this time, not in the boat. Uh, from Pylos to Sparta, they meet um, uh, they meet Menelaus with the purpose of finding out the original journey. I mean, the original goal, which Telemachus stated back in Ithaca when he left, I'll find out if my dad, if, I, if there's some word of him coming home. If we hear word, we'll come back, we'll give him a year. And if he doesn't show up, we'll hold a funeral, we'll move on. If we find that, yeah. find out that he's dead, we'll go ahead and hold a funeral now and move on. So that, that yeah. mission still is still there. And in this, as you say, so simply, he goes and meets Menelaus, who's in a position to know. Menelaus tells him, I found out, I heard from this weird story, which we'll dig into, um, that, that your father is still alive and weeping on an island. And that's kind of it, really. Like, like, that's the important thing. Then, you know, scene change, back in Ithaca at this very moment, as, uh, as Jay was saying, there's drama going on. And so the setup, when we leave leave Telemachus is, is that he's in big trouble and he doesn't know it. The big trouble is yep. the suitors have, they, they've got sharpshooters up in the trees ready to right. assassinate him when, when, when he makes his way back home. And Penelope yeah. finds out. When we, last, when we last knew Penelope had not hers, she didn't know that Telemachus had left. Eurycleia kept the secret. Um, and now she knows and she's, and she's super sad. Okay, that's simple. You think, wow, that's the longest book, you know, in the Odyssey. I could tell, I could write that in four pages. Um, but uh, what is interesting here is all the other things. And there's yep. a ton. Uh, there's a ton. Um, so getting to that, and I think getting your students um, um, through this and maybe trying to keep them from having that sort of mindset of just, you know, let's Google the chapter and find out what it's about. But but wandering around through it, finding out what Homer thinks is important for us to know and asking questions yeah. why, and then uh, kind of luxuriating in it, really, and just let yeah. yourself be. I'm mystified. There's several things in here that are on my list of those things I still haven't looked up, and I don't want to. I don't want to know what the scholars think. I still want to live with it and try to make sense of it from my deepening understanding of the characters um, um, I'm involved. And there's, there's a couple of those things um, in this chapter for me. Yeah, and I, this is one of those if you're teaching or if you're a student leading a class or just reading it in a reading group, that any chapter this is true for, but the reader response approach works with really great books because it almost doesn't matter what a kid notices. <laughs> so yeah. if you have a class of 20 people and you ask the, if you're a reading group with X number of people and you ask what passage stands out to you the most for whatever reason and you you list them somewhere um you're going to get a really interesting tour and what stands out to one person which maybe might be like stories of a father that a kid has never met and you might that might stand out to you for some reason and the other person might be dealing with more supernatural that it almost doesn't matter there's so much going on here that i don't think anybody should feel obligated to sort of dig into every moment it's what you're saying yeah. enjoy the adventure of it um yes. yes it's not like a murder mystery where where no. it's carefully laid out and you have to pay attention to the right no, details no. or you won't figure it out no. uh you're right Jay. this is not that that sort of book the plot part you can get i mean there are details that we just went over and you can find those the rest yeah. of it though is is just color and background and yeah. fullness um, that that makes this more and more interesting, yeah. making people more and more compelling. All right, yeah. so uh, how do you want to break into the weirdness? This is the weirdest book. This is the weirdest book. Yeah, I love it. Book. We were talking about it, yeah. Why don't it's you, because I did a bunch of talking, do you want to start with your essential quotation and talk a bit, and then I'll do mine? Yeah, yeah, sure. Um, the essential quote, um, you know what? I say sure, but I don't know that I really have a. Um, I, I don't do know if I have, have have the essential um, an, an essential quote from this for me. Um, I mean, I think I would have to go to if if I'm pushed on that. I would have to say um, you have to go all the way through uh, through the chapter to maybe one of two scenes. I'll do one, and and yes. that is really where um, Menelaus. Uh, uh, reveals to Telemachus what he's found out about about his father. So yeah. that's about three quarters of the way in. Um, it's after this extremely weird scene where um, the old man of the sea, Proteus's daughter, 
uh, tells Menelaus for whatever reason how to capture his father, uh, her father, yeah. um, this Proteus character, and find out uh, whatever he wants to find out uh, from him. So they go through this whole ordeal, which I'll just skip. And um, he compels Proteus to talk to him. And, and he asks Proteus essentially two questions. One, how do I get home? How do I get out of here? Because they're stuck. Uh, there's no there's no wind. They're in the doldrums. They need to get out. What, what God did I offend? And, and how can I fix that? Proteus tells him, while he's got him, you know, while you've got a prophet on the hook, you know, like spewing details, go ahead and ask some more questions. So Menelaus asks him, um, when we split up, back at Troy to head back home. Um, I know Nestor and I, you know, made it this far. Nestor probably made it home. But of the other people, who made it home? Who didn't? And Proteus says, well, lots of people made it home. But of the of the admiralty, of the of the captains, uh, there's uh, there's a couple who died he wants to tell him about. And, and, and the drama here is that one of the people who died is Menelaus's brother. And then we're back yeah. to the story of Agamemnon's death again, yeah. and of Orestes, and 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 and, and, and the just, revenge, and the whole thing. It just right, right. It's back on the page again. In this case, so that's a thread of continuity. In this weirdness, we get a little more details uh, about how Agamemnon died exactly. And there was an ambush, and there were people watching and waiting for him. And it echoes this thing that's that we're about to find out, which is that Telemachus is going to be entered into the same story. There's going to be an ambush. Uh, waiting for him. And and so one of the things that this does is build drama and build tension. Um, because when Telemachus goes back home, when Odysseus finally goes back home, they stand the chance of, and you're reminded of this over and over, they stand the chance of suffering the same fate that Agamemnon does. If they're not, and you have to fill in the blank, if they're not pious enough, if they're not careful enough, if they're not all of these things, um, so there's there's real risk. And and you see it because Agamemnon's the king of all the kings, and he dies horribly. Right. That happens. It's awful. So Proteus tells uh tells Menelaus this about his brother. Menelaus is angry and upset and um and and, and despondent. But then he tells him, he says, How and he says, Well, is there anyone else? Who you said, well, Proteus says there's three guys I can tell you about. And so Menelaus says, Well, who's the third guy? And and this this third guy is is Odysseus. So through all this drama, Telemachus hears that not directly but very indirectly that his father is still alive. So Menelaus says, "The old man of the sea, this guy who can who can tell you things, uh, who knows things, whose daughter is the knowing goddess, um, told me that uh, that Odysseus is not dead, but that he's shipwrecked and he's on shore weeping, wishing he was getting home this yeah. whole time." Yeah. yeah. So that, that's got to be the essential thing, I guess, because that's what Telemachus is here for. If you're trying to stick to the plot, um, that's what Telemachus is here for. And he gets he gets his information. Yeah, that's good. I Mine is a Menelaus Telemachus moment as well. Um, mm. And it's but it's early in the chapter. So this is in the Emily Wilson. It's line 78. And um Menelaus says, uh, let's see, no mortal, my dear boys, can rival Zeus. His halls and home and pro property are deathless. Now, this is the wealthiest man in the world saying, right. Elon Musk saying, no, God is greater than I am. Some, <laughs> and that's an important moral point. Remember, Telemachus is told to be a man in book one and has no exemplars. Well, here's mm. one you could argue. Some man may match my wealth or maybe not. I suffered for it. I was lost adrift at sea for eight long years. I traipsed through Cyprus, Phoenicia, Egypt, Ethiopia, Sidon, and Araby. This is important. It's sort of like those lists in the Bible that you could sleep through. But if you poke around and research all those names, they're all kind of interesting, right? Yeah. This yeah, is yeah. a little Google Earth tour. He, the, he doesn't go to two towns over. He's all over the known world, right? right? Where lambs are born with horns. Their master and his slave have milk. Okay, skip a sentence. While I wandered there accumulating wealth, again, not investing, probably violently taking what he wanted to. Accumulating wealth, yeah. Which was expected if you were victorious in war. On your way home, you would just take whatever you want. That was expectation. Not That right. wasn't weird. Right. Uh, uh, someone crept in and killed my brother. Again, here we go. Uh, just this again. 
His own scheming wife betrayed him. I can take no joy in all my wealth. Okay, here's some really important points. Mm. Whoever they may be, your fathers have surely told you how much I've suffered. I've lost my lovely home and was I was parted for many years from all my splendid riches. Now, here's one of the weirdest things said in the book. And this is uh, as a married person, don't don't do this. I wish I had stayed here with just a third of all the treasure I've now acquired. If those who died at Troy so far away from Argive pastures were alive and well. Hmm. The woman he went to rescue was sitting probably a foot to his left. <laughs> now, he effectively just said, <clears throat> I wish I left her with the enemy so that all my comrades were still alive. Now, there's a hierarchy of relationship that's asserted there. That my hmm. the life of my comrades somehow trumps me being with my wife. That's literally what he he literally just said that, at least in the form of pain. <laughs> Jay, that's Eric, such a cruel reading. That's like... <laughs> that's what he said. I never uh, thought here, of that. I never thought of that. Here we go. But here we go. I, I was it so goes. I was so taken with the passion of you know his loyalty sure. to his friends. But yeah, yeah. Helen's like, uh, hello. <laughs> right. You did go to save me. So. And then, and then this really great point, uh, sometimes tears bring comfort to my heart, but not for long. Cold grief grows sickening. Mm. I miss them all, but one man most. Here we go. Yeah. When I remember him, I cannot eat or sleep since no one labored like him. Odysseus. Mm. Now, we don't get Telemachus's face there, but you got to stage this right in your head. Make a movie in your head. Oh, my gosh. Here we go. And then the wealthiest man in the world who you'd think on paper would be happy as hell all the time says Odysseus's destiny was suffering. Remember Odysseus's name means man of pain. Mm. His destiny was suffering in mine, the endless pain of missing him. We <laughs> don't even know if he's still alive. He's been gone so long. Um, and then Telemachus weeps at hearing this news. I just think there's a lot said about Odysseus here. And I think more globally, one of the interesting points here is that war trauma and losing men who you've served with in war is a particular set of feelings that yeah. in this poem seem to transcend all other feelings. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Oh, you know? and that, and that, and the pathos is amazing. Yeah. I, mean, I marked it in the margin here. Weeping, yeah. you know, these, Menelaus, the, the, he's a killer. He's a man killer, you know, and yep. a leader of killers of men. Yeah, yeah. And they're, they're crying, you know, and, and, and Telemachus, we saw Telemachus cry before, but it was out of frustration and anger. But this is yep. out, of, out of feeling for his father, who he's never met, you know, right. um, and, and his feeling for. It's great. Yeah. It's a great scene. And, and I bring this up with my students. I, I say, you know, you, if you know action hero movies, it's pretty tough to come up with an example, you know, like a John Wick, you know, sort of character or Ethan Hunt for Mission Impossible. These guys are not sitting around crying, you know, like they lose all their comrades. They're all shot and, blow, you know, and they just celebrate the win in the end. And, and all those guys who, you know, at the beginning of the movie, they were really close to, they don't even remember them anymore. They're just gone, whatever. They're just yeah. throwing characters. But, um, these guys are our heroes and they're way more realistic because a real person with real friends um, feels this way, actually. Yeah, Although I, I, I think, was thinking of it in the Rambo one movie, you know, Rambo does break down and cry toward the end of yeah, it. Yeah. First blood part one. And it's a, it's a really good movie and he's in tears, absolute tears. Um, so it's yeah, a great I, feature. Yeah. Yeah. No, I think you're right. I don't want to go too long on this, but like, I think the best writer, um, According to our friend Bill Britton, who's a, a Marine Vietnam veteran who teaches a, a, a history class at our school, he said the greatest writer of imaginative literature of the Vietnam era is uh, Tim O'Brien. And, and Tim O'Brien has a piece called How to Tell a True War Story. Mm. And it's basically cautioning people to try to extract simplistic morals. And the other thing that Bill says and that a, all, a lot of really great readers of Homer have said over and over is, the Iliad and the Odyssey are not pro-war poems, and they're not anti-war poems. They're war poems. In other words, yeah. you're going to get decapitations. You're going to get killing, murder, loss. But you know what else you're going to get? Broken older men. Yeah. You're going to get that too. You're going to get also the family left at home. You're going to get ghosts. You're going to get the – I mean, there yes. is no, no stone left unturned to this story. Yes, yes. 
That's that. That's exactly right. And and they're torn over it. Like it is just the experience of life. Yes, mentor. Uh, I mean, yes, Menelaus made a fortune, so he's got wealth. Well, yeah. what does that mean? Well, that's complicated. complicated. Yeah, that's complicated because yeah. he says, "I'd like to have my friends back." Is what I'd like to yeah. have. You know, that's that. That's what I want. Maybe he would say, though he doesn't say it. I'd rather not have lost my wife. You know, ever. You know, at yeah. all. <laughs> Um, uh, possibly, but that's a whole other weird thing in this chapter for for me. But you're yeah. right; that complexity is is worth pouring over and reading and trying to hear and hear and hear and hear again. It's way deeper than than, than the cheap, um, uh, you know, sort of drive by readings, you know, of, of of wealth or of being a warrior of or of you know being uh, you know, being great or something. This is this is all those things, yeah. all those things together, and that loss, that loss of time. And of being away from home, as you mentioned, is commemorated in the almost the most pathetic ways possible. You know, as this book goes yeah. goes along. Yeah, that's good. And, and, and we're Telemachus. I mean, we're learning the moral landscape of the wider world. Yeah. Well, what's Telemachus doing? He's lived in a little town his whole life. hasn't done anything. He's learning about the wider landscape, moral landscape of the wider world. He's learning yes. all the things we're talking about. He's wrestling with for the very first time. Yes. What it's like being an adult what it's like being an adult in pain, what it's yeah. like, how valuable are the things that the world values? Not very, mm. like he's learning all these things for the first time. Yeah. And it's yeah. back to that comment you made earlier of having wise people in your life. It's almost like an uncle kind of a vuncular relationship. Um, he's developing here right on the spot with people who, uh, who, who can teach him like no one else can, you know, and, and, and you're right. What he's hearing about what it means to be an adult and be in the world is complex, deep and rich. You know, and he, yeah. and he takes it in, you know, he takes it in. Yeah. I think the fact that he cries over his, because he has some snarky lines, which we pointed out earlier in, in the book, you know, I don't yeah. know if this is as my dad, um, but, but he feels his loss. That's that, that comes from mental illness because, yeah. because Telemachus never knew him, never yep. knew him. Um, so what do you have for a, like a surprising Paul and I usually do an essential sort of moment and then something that was sort of surprising to us. God, the whole thing is surprising, but oh, there's so much weirdness in it. Yeah. So I'd like to go to the scene where uh, Helen is talking. So we meet, you know, yeah. the, you know, oh, the gorgeous. I'm glad you're talking about that. Yeah, the gorgeous Helen who who calls herself a wanton. You know, like you know, sort of played fast and loose and and uh, toyed with uh, flirting with this other guy and, and 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 setting the world on fire, their world on fire, and and she almost sort of laughs at it. Um, and and it's interesting that talk about just you know what's said in proximity to a spouse, what Helen, the details she goes into in proximity yeah. to Menelaus in front of Telemachus is is sort of funny. And and uh, Menelaus just takes he doesn't even comment on it really. The the fact that she you know that she has this affair and uh, left him for a time, um, uh, and then and then ends up you know ends up coming back. Um, but for me, here's here's maybe the weirdest part of, of of all of that. And and that is and this is the thing I really don't this is the thing I really don't understand, um, which is Helen tells these stories. She says while she was in Troy, and this is nice, too, because we get a yep. behind the scenes picture in yeah. Troy. Uh, and she talks about she talks about Odysseus as well. So it's more it's more info for Telemachus about um, about his dad. And uh, so he she talks about running into Odysseus behind the walls of Troy when Odysseus had snuck in um, uh, once. And um, but but the thing that she says that, uh, that that's really surprising has to do with the time. Do you remember the scene? And I'm not finding the page all of a sudden where um, they're in the horse. So, <laughs> yeah, in, in so, the Emily Wilson, it's around line 250-ish. Um, oh, uh, oh, no, yeah, it's right around 290. Three times you went around. This is, Menelaus says, at least in this translation, I, I the line numbers are different in yours, but three times you went around the hollow, hollow belly, touching the hiding place and calling on us Greeks by name. You put on different voices for each man's wife. Yes, yeah. Uh, that's the one. Menelaus, like in front of everyone, is calling out his wife for trying to get the Greeks, her people, in trouble while in Troy. Yes. Why did she do that, Jay? 
Why did she do that? Why did she try to upend? So she's clearly, she said, I was, I was done. I realized I shouldn't have done what I did. I was done with Paris. I had had my time with him. That was over. She had met up with Odysseus. She didn't give him away when he snuck right. into the city of Troy. She recognized him and talked, uh, talked with him, but right. didn't try to turn him in. She's clearly remaining loyal. So it kind of reminds me of Odysseus, you know, who has affairs while he's, while he's gone, sleeps with the goddess, but in his heart, he always wants to be back home. It's sort of, it's sort of that's that kind of thing where Helen is, is obviously having an affair, but in her heart, she's, she's, right. she's still loyal. Um, but she goes around the horse. Uh, yeah. And, and, and is calling out, imitating the voices of these men's wives, trying to get them to, to show themselves, to call out and then yeah. ruin the whole ruse. I don't, right. I don't know why that's there. Have you, have you thought about that? Yeah, not deeply. What you just said was interesting how you how you said it was interesting which is she's as disloyal you could argue to her husband as odysseus was yeah but a lot of people consider odysseus to be a hero and no one considers i mean a lot of people consider helen to be immoral um yeah so i mean there's a pretty obvious double standard it's a three thousand year old thing but yeah it says in the emily wilson this very blunt sentence menelaus says we're all in the belly of the the horse all of us are responding to our wives' voices because we haven't seen them in a decade and we're dying to embrace them, right? Simply put, Odysseus prevented us from going. Yeah. Odysseus, Odysseus came up, this is probably important to Telemachus, like he came up with a stratagem of the horse, but equally importantly is he kept all the men quiet when if any of them made noise, the whole thing would have fallen apart and there'd be no odyssey, they'd all be dead. Yes, yes. And and that might be the point of, of the tale in this is that yeah, in the um in the Fitzgerald translation, which I finally found at line three ten, desire moved his throats to hail you, but Odysseus' great hands clamped over his jaws and held. So he saved us all till Pallas Athena led you away at last. Yeah. You know? Yeah. And and I like the map, you know, as you say, there's I, I guess double standards. I I don't know. I, I hold off a little and, and, and retreat into roles like they're just different roles uh, that are that are played. And the right. one thing I'd like to emphasize about that is that there is no judgment in this. So you say, OK, you know, um, Helen has an affair and she's, uh, you know, seen as I mean, she causes the war. But there's not I, unless I'm wrong, there's not a line of condemnation of her from Menelaus. Menelaus never says, oh, and you should never have done that. And oh, what right. a, you know how awful you were to do what you did. And yeah, you yeah. finally saw the light or something. There's nothing like that. Everything is just taken as a matter of fact. This is what happened. Stop I, want happened. Put out there, I want to put out there too, really important thing when reading old texts, I would argue any text, but mm. we talked about this with Romeo and Juliet too. It isn't any different. The idea of marrying for love is a very recent invention. Yeah. Think of how lucky Paul's wife and my life, my wife are. No, the, the idea of marrying for love is a very <laughs> recent invention. So yeah. the whole idea of like, we probably would want to imagine that Helen really loved Menelaus and then was kidnapped and is desperate to go back. She was probably just, you know, there was probably a business deal between two fathers. She was probably a middle schooler and she was married to a guy. And then for 10 years, for 10 years, she's with somebody else. Maybe she's happier there. Maybe yeah. she never thought she'd go back. Who the heck knows? Right. One of the peculiar things, and we're going to get to this in book six, I think, is that, or seven, is it It might be the case that the one marriage that's a, like a modern marriage is Odysseus's mm -hmm. and Penelope's. Mm -hmm. But other than that, like, I, I think it's always dangerous to impose 21st century ethics onto any text that's not in the 21st century. So I think, our job, I think our job early on is to figure out what are the moral rules of the book? Yes. And then it's a lot more dynamic a read. Yes. And I think what you're pointing out is it's really complicated. This isn't leave it to beaver with togas. This is complicated. <laughs> leave it to beaver. <laughs> no, it is not. Oh, and don't forget, when we first arrive here in Sparta, there's a double wedding going on. And the son who's getting married, who's his mom? A yeah, slave girl, a yeah, slave girl from the Trojan War. It is not Helen. 
You know, right. it's Helen's daughter, Helen's, you know, Helen's blood daughter that's getting married, but the son right. uh, is uh, Menelaus's uh, blood son, but uh, not with Helen. And that's just, it's just a given. It's just happening. Yeah. It's just the thing that happens. Right. But I think you're completely right um, that when you dig into a text, you should find out the moral universe that, that you're in and be open to finding that out. Now, that doesn't mean you can you're not required to withhold judgment on it. Um, oh, sure. I actually think yeah. the opposite. But those are two different things. One, finding out how what, what you think about that moral universe is one thing. But what is it? That's the first question, actually. Yeah. You know, yeah. I'm not what you think of it, but but what is it actually? And then develop, you know, a um, a, a, yeah, a yeah. perspective on it. Um, so yeah, I want to. Uh, you know, it's so you know it's so easy to impose our own our own time and our own brilliant judgments, especially if your judgments are as brilliant as you know as ours. Uh, <laughs> our. <laughs> so um, oh, so, so, so to hold that and hold back and try to figure out what's going on, it's um, it's worth doing. Yeah. No, and it also sidebar. It makes reading interesting, and it makes it makes the act of reading imaginative literature more than autobiography over and over again. Like I have no interest in just looking for my own opinions over and over again. Like I want my world to be wider and bigger. Yeah. Some of that, some of that's going to bother me. Some of it's going to enrich and enlighten me and all yeah. that's fine. You know, right. Um, right. Speaking of this, my surprising moment is Euryclea moment. I was just going to um, ask you that. Okay. Lay yeah, it on. Euryclea is really interesting because at the end of book four, Penelope's really upset that right. her kid is gone and she finds out that the slave, the maid, yeah. uh, the nurse, Euryclea, is knew it. Like, because Telemachus needed some adult help, not unlike the nurse in Romeo and Juliet, right? Yeah, that's right. So, so this is 742 in the Wilson. Then the loyal, it's a short passage. Uh, Penelope goes after her and mm -hmm. says, uh, says a bunch of things. And then Euryclea says, lady to Penelope, sweetheart, even if you take a sword and kill me, I will tell the truth. <laughs> now, I say to my students, before this class starts, I just put that quote on the board and say, who do you think is going to say that? And no one says Euryclea. That sounds like a heroic, manly sentiment. Yeah. So yeah. before we look at a book like this, and I would argue any great book, but before we look at a book like this as merely antiquated or quaint or or morally sort of vacant or whatever, right. here you have an utterly powerless person, so powerless she's literal property, literal, she's a literal thing, albeit given pretty good status by Odysseus's dad when he purchased her. But still, right. she's a thing. They could they could get rid of her like you and I take out the trash if they want to. And then she goes, I knew all this. I gave him what he asked for, Telemachus, bread and sweet mm -hmm. wine. He made me swear an oath not to inform you till 12 days had passed. And then she basically says, go have a bath. She like tells her what to do. Um, your client not only stands up to royalty, but basically says the greatest good in my life is keeping my oath and, and telling the truth. Yeah, yeah. So even, even pieces of property yeah. and men here have a moral framework, have mm. passion, have loyalty, have oaths that they have to keep, truths that they have to maintain. So yeah. I just think that makes the world of the Odyssey incredibly interesting and dynamic and perpetually surprising when you have no idea who's going to be interesting in any moment. I think that's really, really interesting. Oh, it's great. And, and also the complexity of her being a slave in their household. Clearly, she's deeply integrated into this family. Deeply integrated yeah. in, into this family. And she's able to say something as strong as the quote, as the line you gave, the Fitzgerald translation uh, says, have my throat cut without mercy or whatever you will. I'm yep. going to tell the truth. Wow. Yep. Okay. This is not like some bowing subservient person. And then she right. gives Penelope really good advice. All right. She, she's kind of, yeah. she says, look, Athena, Zeus's daughter, she will be who saves this boy from death. Um, so spare the old man, and they said, spare the old man this further stuff because Penelope says, "Oh, go up." She sends she sends her to go tell Laertes, Odysseus's dad, you know what's going on. Get him to help. Maybe he'll do something. Stage a you know revolt. Give and yeah, you're a classic. No, 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 no. Don't do that. Leave the old man alone. Athena's going to take care of your son. Yep. So so she has yeah. she has a lot of a lot of power, a lot of moral weight, you know, in this in this story.
And who else in the in the poll? I'm just maybe someone can comment on this. Is there anyone else anyone else in the poem so far or at any point willing to sacrifice their life for an oath or for just the truth? Mm. Uh, not for like I'm going to war or like, but just for an idea. Like, yeah. it, it's peculiar. It really yeah. is. It is, and it's not the last time she's going to do this either. This, right. if, if you just follow her thread, extract her out and follow her yeah. thread, this this develops in a very very important way, and it's it's a piece yeah. of her character. Um, it's a great, yeah, but but you're right. It's a great thing. It's like pointing out, like, as we did in Hamlet, um, how the gravedigger, you know, might be yeah. the, only, the only wit and intellect, you know, that you know that that, that matches Hamlet um, in the play. Yeah. He's at least extremely distinctive. And right. um, and and this is that corner that corner of the story, yo, Euryclea. She's not Agamemnon's brother, you know. She's not Helen. You know? She's probably yeah. ugly, you know. But she's unbelievably um, memorable and, and and important to the story. And and she sues Penelope. Penelope's back yeah. back asleep. Yeah. So yeah. There, look, there's so many of these things. I mean, after this, the phantom, the ghost that appears, that slips in through the door latch. Yeah. I don't know how Wilson translated, but the fifth show, it's amazing. It's Penelope's sister, and then they have a conversation. Yeah. You know, <laughs> it's it's fantastic. And 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 her sister in phantom form uh soothes uh P Penelope's mind. I'm sure there's a great, you know, Freudian reading of that, no doubt. And uh, that's that's enormously weird. Um I really like I really like that though. It's great color, it's a, it's great storytelling. I think yep. very, very interesting plotting, which is if you've ever tried to write fiction on your own, which I have, you know, and still do, but you just can't come up with stuff. <laughs> I can't, you know, it's so interesting yeah. and, and plotting so it's hard. Almost, well, it's, it's almost, I'm sorry to interrupt. It's almost as if the kind of pain these characters are experiencing require unexpected, wild connections. like. Like phantoms and sea god, like I don't think straight ahead descriptions of feeling loss work here. Yeah. You know, the the kind of pain and loss that's being felt. It's like why do we use figurative language? Because sometimes the only way to describe something well is to say, well, this is like this other thing. Like that's describing right. it in itself just doesn't cover it. This is like an extreme that's... version of that. Yes. Yes. You know. Which is deeply at the heart of the meaning of stories like this is that yeah. things that are that are the most complicated, maybe the most important, simply cannot be communicated straightforwardly. It can't. It can't yeah. be done. You can't say it. You can only say it by not saying it in some right. creative, associative, deep, deep way. And that's yep. and that's what's going on here. So, what um, do you have for a lingering a lingering question? I mean, there's so many at the end of book four. We as you said, we end book four. This is Telemachus's initial narrative, right? Book five coming up is a series of books really focusing on the hero of the poem. So what lingering questions do you have at this point? Well, the thing I would like to track that I don't know if I've ever formally done this, but if you think of this as the place that we're leaving Telemachus, and if you're reading the Telemachy, these first four books, as a development of Telemachus, from this boy who who's slumped in the corner, I picture him slumped in the corner with a Game Boy, you know, like idling the hours away, and yeah. and, and and it's just beat, you know. I just picture the suitors coming in and thumping him on the head every single day of his life, you know. Sit over there, boy. Um, to him, getting getting up enough courage to to confront them and and, and make a speech, but then loses it and cries, you know, and and, and, and falls apart. If we're beginning there and then we're ending off here at the end of book four, and we're not going to hear from him again, we're not going to see him again for 11 books, 200, almost 200 pages of the story. Where exactly have we left him? Um, what has he what has he come to? And we've talked through some of these things that he's experienced, that he's that, that has shown in front of it or that he has been shown, that he's been able to see and hear from great people like Nestor and Menelaus and Helen. Um, but uh, what exactly is the status and, and, and how would we know? I think I'd like to, to, to look for that when we, when we see him again, when we see him in action again, uh, back on, on Ithaca and ask that question again in about 11 books. Where exactly, where exactly is he now? 
um, now that he's there and back again, you know, Hobbit yeah. style, he comes back to the Shire as it were, but he's not the same little Hobbit, you know, when he gets there. Right, right. So maybe yeah. that's my lingering sort of you know, like character that. development question. Mine's related. I think Paul, uh, mm. just considering Telemachus's quest, Helen's sort of restlessness, Menelaus's profound sense of loss, Penelope's sadness. You know what all these people have in common is that they're connected to Odysseus and that, Odysseus is a strong character and I think he's I think we're being set up Telemachus primarily is being set up but we as readers who are like Telemachus it's very method reading early on um, mm. I I think we're being encouraged that polytropos idea early on I think that yeah. has both ennobling heroic elements and very dark elements that this man is going to be fascinating and brilliant and heroic and damaged and deceptive and the most famous liar in the history of literature and also yeah. someone you want to emulate in other ways. Like I think Telemachus and us are being set up to sort of buckle up for whenever we're going to meet him because yeah. it, none of it is going to be obvious. It's, yeah. it's not going to be a set of like cliche statements about, a warrior like it isn't going to be that and we're going to see that immediately in book five that all right it's it, we know this is about a, a military hero returning home nothing in book five is what you expect nothing <laughs> that's a great teaser for for, for book five yeah, um, keep keep reading yes keep reading and make so sure I, you all comment make sure you all comment on this we want to yeah. you know we want to hear your thoughts alternate views uh paul and i are not ever going to claim that these are definitive statements we're, we're two people who just love this book and we're talking yes about it. yes and yeah. and and our it would be great to hear from from other readers of this that is the whole point of uh, of teacher talk we hope to do this in person someday and in uh in in many conferences uh with others perhaps of you who are listening now who we can dig in with you know, around a table, um, like it might have been done at Menelaus' house with yeah. food and drink, um, yeah. and, uh, and and real insight from people who've spent time uh, wrestling wrestling with this stuff. So throw some things in the in the comments. That would be great. Maybe what your f uh, favorite weird thing is from this chapter. But all yeah. in all, as Jay said, stick stick with it. Um, don't let a long meandering chapter like this uh, put you off. Um, it's strong and good, and you can find the main thread if that's all you're interested in, which is great. And then you're ready to move into in, into book five, and the story just 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 takes off. Uh, just yeah. takes off from there. So yeah. Well, hey, that was good, Paul. Thank you very much for, for yeah. checking in. Uh, yeah. I, thought, I, mean, I know this is a long episode, folks, but I mean this is a long book. Paul and I actually didn't address lots of things. So, like Paul said, <laughs> definitely comment in the comment section. Yeah, that'd be great. And thanks, uh, thanks, Jay, for that Stephen Dunn uh, poem. That was that was fantastic. I look forward to yeah, uh, checking him out a little more. So yeah, all, all right, right, Jay. Hey, thanks. Hey, we'll thanks. see you next time. Thank you, Paul.